You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor George Willis, which is from the sermon series, Don't Get It Twisted. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Hey, I want to welcome you guys to Creekside Church this morning. Can we let those online know? We're going to look at that camera this time, far in the corner. Uh, it's a wider shot. I'm, th- I'm throwing a curveball to the back wall team. Wave at them, make some noise, let, you know, let them know that you love them online. Yes, we get to be here. We get to do this. And here's what I know to be true, that uh, you, every single one of you, are here for a reason on purpose. Uh, Not by mistake, not because you decided, uh, but maybe God has a bigger plan for each and every one of us here today. Uh, Next week, we're going to be uh, doing a a few things. One, uh, since it's Mother's Day on Sunday, next week we're going to honor moms, we're going to celebrate the women of Creekside Church, and we're going to glorify Jesus. So I want to invite you, if you're watching online, make it a point to be with us because uh, not only are we going to honor some moms, but we we also want to celebrate the women of Creekside Church, and we've prepared a little something for each and every one of you. So uh, join us next week. And uh, today we're wrapping up our series called Don't Get It Twisted. Maybe, maybe I'll uh, do another one after Mother's Day. I don't know. Maybe show up and find out. Uh, How many of you, I'm going to start off this morning, how many of you ever thought to yourself, uh, you know, if I just had a little bit more money, it would make my life easier. Raise your hand. Let's... It'd make my life a little bit better. Raise your hand. Well, good news. I have taped a $100 bill to one of these chairs underneath your seat. Everybody's staring at me like, is he serious? Should I look? I don't want to look like an idiot. <laughs> I wanted to ask you that because this is a great... During the message, some of you guys on the slag me like... <laughs> I know who you are. It's a great segue into this message that I, I want to uh, share with you this morning. Because there's a a commonly misquoted passage in the Bible. And if you've been walking with us for the last few weeks, you probably know what we're already going to talk about. That money is the root of all evil. Money is the root of all evil. As a matter of fact, uh, usually in January, my wife and I will go down uh, to uh, my my family, visit my family down in, in Palm Desert. And in Palm Desert, there's a Dairy Queen. And at Dairy Queen, they have these uh, things called blizzards. And within these things called blizzards, they they mix crushed up Oreo cookies. Now, I don't know if there's anything closer to heaven than an Oreo blizzard from Dairy Queen (laughs) after having a Chick-fil-A meal. Um, (laughs) And we were down there one year not too long ago and you know everybody has a tip jar in in front of the register and this one caught my attention and it this is awesome i want to show you a picture of it money is the root of all evil cleanse yourself here 
Now, that's not the actual tip jar from, from Dairy Queen, but when you Google tip jar signs, you find a whole host. I, I thought about doing like the top 10 list of, of tip jar signs that are pretty funny. And it's, it's one of the best ones I've seen, one of the best hooks I've seen. This, see, this is what many people believe that this passage says. This is what many people believe that this scripture says, that money is the root of all evil. Money is the root of all evil. And it's a verse that we often get twisted. And it's a, it's a verse that we often misunderstand. And when we say money is the root of all evil, it is completely inaccurate. And I want to show you what this verse, uh, how this verse is actually quoted. You see, the Apostle Paul, he's talking to someone who's he, he, who he is very close with. His name is Timothy. And Timothy is a young leader, a young pastor. And in 1 Timothy verse 10, this is what he actually said. He said, for the what? Let's all say it out loud together. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. Now, if you're like most people, you'll say, hey, the good news is, listen, that's not me. Right? Because we're here at church. That's not me. That's not about me. That's some other greedy person who really loves money. But not me. That's not me. But how do we know if we love money? What are some of the metrics in determining if we love money? How can one actually discern if he or she loves money or not? The Bible actually answers this very question with tremendous clarity. Tremendous clarity. It was Solomon who said in the Old Testament, and it's a pretty good description of this. He said this in Ecclesiastes 5.10, Whoever loves money, say it with me, never has enough. Now some of us may be going, okay, that's me. Because I feel like I never have enough. It says, whoever loves, loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Now, when I asked you, you know, if money would make your life a little easier, a little better, and I said there's $100 taped to the bottom of your chair, that was a little setup there. I asked how many of you would say a little, you know, a little bit more money would make your life easier or better than it is now. But when I look at this definition, this verse, whoever loves money never has enough. It begins to make me feel a little uncomfortable about my own spiritual situation. Whoever loves money never has enough. It's a definition of somebody who loves money. Listen, Kristen and I, when we first got married, uh, we always wanted to have a child buy a house, you know, get the dog. I wanted two kids. She told me we were only having one because she already had two. And <laughs> I'll let you figure that one out. <laughs> but, but we always, and you may have had this conversation as well, when we make X amount, then we'll do this. When we have this much money, then we'll do this. And the reality is, truth be told, we never had enough. We've never met that mark. 
The truth is, it was never enough. And I think the question that may be revealing of where your heart is in regards to money and where it stands when it comes to money is how much do you really need to be totally satisfied? How much money do you really need to be totally satisfied? How much money do you need to be happy? To feel secure? And everyone I ask that question to, at, I don't know what the, yeah. Usually the response is, if I just had a little bit more. If I just had a little bit more, then I could be happy. If I just had a little bit more. Whoever loves money never has enough. Is this kind of, is the context shifting with us a little bit? Whoever loves, or could we say, whoever feels like they never have enough must have a love for money. They're never satisfied with their income. Suddenly, when we go back to the for the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Understanding what we just went through when King Solomon in Ecclesiastes, it makes that sentence hit a little closer to home for many of us, doesn't it? Probably a little closer than we'd like to acknowledge. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. This morning, I want to continue what we've learned in 40 days in the Word, our three-step process of context, Scripture, and application. Context, Scripture, and application as we dive into this theme. Let me give you a little bit of context in this verse. Since Paul was actually talking to Timothy, and like I said, Timothy was a, you know, Paul treated Timothy like his own son, like a spiritual son. You know, Paul has two pastoral letters or epistles, and Timothy and uh, they one to Timothy and one to Titus, because uh, Timothy and Titus were considered uh, Paul's spiritual sons. They were young pastors. They were young leaders. Um, so these letters were very personal to these individuals, and we learned to how to love Jesus in the church from these two epistles. So this is Paul speaking with Timothy in, in you know, trying to teach him and train him and encourage him and challenge him. And Timothy, uh, Paul says to Timothy in verse 6, Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So again, if we're looking at a big theme here, the big theme of what Paul's trying to tell Timothy, you know, it, it, the argument is not about money it's about godliness it's not about money it's about godliness this is the big theme for we were for we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of the world i think this concept is easy to understand with our head but our hearts have a hard time gripping this truth let me put it simpler easier said than done right because you've never seen, you know, a hearse towing a U-Haul. There's a joke about an old guy with a briefcase of money, and he goes and put it up, put it up in the attic. And his wife, what are you doing that for? It's like you grab it on the way up to heaven. <laughs> the dude died, and the case was still there. And the, the wife said, old fool, I told him to put it in the basement so he could grab it on the way down.
Listen, we bring nothing into this world and we can take nothing out. That's a reality. In verse 8, Paul says something profound. He says this in verse 8, but if we have food and clothing, we will be, and say this with me, content with that. And if we're being honest with ourselves, some of us will be going, I wouldn't be just content with that. I want the better car. I want the bigger house. I want the, you know, the, the, the up-to-date fashion. I want the greatest golf clubs. I want the latest iPhone. I want the, you know, the, the, the latest. I, I get frustrated when I get into a Nike lottery and I don't get the drop on my Air Jordans. Frustrates me. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. What Paul is trying to teach us is this. The richest people are not those who have the most. It's those who need the least. The richest people aren't those who have the biggest house, the biggest bank account, the, the, the best car, all of the drops. It's those who need the least. I mean, if, if, if you don't believe me, I've spent many years early on in my ministry going to Mexico on mission trips. Go to Mexico. There was one village called Valle Verde that we went as a flood relief village. They actually got moved by the government out to a mud field because uh, their city flooded. No electricity. They were living in uh, uh, pallet-walled, cardboard roof houses, dirt floors. And they were some of the most content people that I've ever met in my life. And if you've ever been on a Mexico mission trip, you know what I'm talking about. It's not those who have the most. It's those who need the least. It's weird to me. People who have way less seem way more content. There are Christians who have nothing, but they have tremendous joy. And those who have the least, get this, by and large, seem to be the most generous people. I think the problem is this. Discontentment makes rich people poor. Contentment makes poor people rich. Paul says we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of this world. But man, we think we can by how much we hoard the stuff we have, don't we? If we have our basic needs met, we can definitely be content with that because godliness, ready? Plus contentment equals this, great gain. Godliness with contentment equals great gain. It says it right there. He goes on to say in verse 9, talking to Timothy, those who want to get rich go and play the lottery. I'm kidding, it doesn't say that. Those who want to get rich fall into what? Temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money 
is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I'm going to ask you a rhetorical question. For those who do not, uh, rhetorical means you, you answer it in your own mind, not out loud, nor do you elbow your spouse. How many of you know someone like that? How many of you know someone like that? Chased money. They, they, they pursued stuff. They pursued happiness through money. And they didn't get it. And they walked away from God. How many of us know somebody like that? Well, I sowed my seed of $1,000. And he was supposed to give me 5000 And it didn't happen. So for that reason, I'm out. Does anybody know anybody like that? Or how many of you know someone that financial tensions within their relationship, whether it's a marriage or a family unit, the tensions were so overwhelming that someone got hurt over a fight about finances? You don't know how many marriages uh, go through difficulty and end up in divorce, not because of, of relational issues, but because of money issues. Money issues. Maybe some of you in this room had a, a fight over money with a friend and you in, you're not friends anymore. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. The love of money. Now, I, I know when we hear this, it kind of, you know, you're, hey, PG, you're making it sound like money's bad. Like, you know, but that's not what I'm saying. I want you to understand this. Having money isn't bad. Having money isn't bad, but loving it, loving money, loving money is so dangerous, and sometimes it's even more dangerous than we can even comprehend. The love of money. And to really love and serve God, listen, friends, we have to get this right. We have, to, we have to understand this. There's a real tension here. Jesus even said that you cannot serve both money or God and money. You can't serve God and money. Uh, you cannot serve God and sex. You cannot serve God and power. You cannot serve God and popularity. You cannot serve God and Instagram. For many, money will be the number one contender for your heart. Money. It'll be the very thing that will keep you from the true riches that God wants for you. And we have to get this right. Because I, I think in many parts of the church world, whether it's in the States or you know, abroad, around the world, globally, there are two extremes. And, and those two extremes could be called, one, prosperity gospel, and the other one could be the opposite, poverty gospel. Prosperity gospel means you know, the most righteous, the, the, with the ones of most faith, you know, God will bless you. Speak it into existence. You got the favor. It's faith. And what does God end up being? God ends up being a means 
a means to our blessings. We treat God like He's here to serve us. And that's dangerous. Because here's what I say, uh, you know, and I heard this from someone a lot this morning. If you can't preach what you're preaching everywhere, you can't preach it anywhere. And the prosperity gospel, you know, there's a, 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 it can become dangerous and abusive, and, and it, it really creates a misunderstanding of the bless, uh, blessing of God. Then there's the poverty gospel. You go to the other extreme. That the most righteous, if you're truly righteous, then you're going to live a poor life. And this is a, also a misunderstanding. In fact, if you go to the Old Testament, you can see in Deuteronomy 8.18, it says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to do what? Wait, what? You know, if, 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 we're, if we're supposed to be a poor pauper because of our faith, but it's God who gives us the ability See, God doesn't give us the ability to do something wrong. He doesn't give us the ability to do something wrong. But if you have wealth, here's what you can do. You can fill a need and help a lot of people. See, we need, we need to be careful not to go off to the extremes. If I'm godly, okay, I'm going to be rich. Or if I'm, if I'm truly godly, then, you know, i I, I got to wear a burlap sack and exemplify my faith in, in my God. Those are misunderstandings of the truth. When we come to the place of acknowledging that we are truly blessed, righteously blessed, here's what we do. We don't apologize for God's blessing in our life. What we do is we maximize God's blessing in our life. We don't apologize for God's blessing. We maximize God's blessing. It's not a sin to have something. It's a sin to love it. Having money isn't bad. Loving it is more dangerous than you can possibly imagine. What we need is the right perspective, the right perspective so we can leverage the blessing. The blessing that God's given us to make a difference in our world. Verse 17, Paul talks about uh, something, and he's about, if I'm being honest, Paul's about to get up in our faces a little bit. He says this, command who? In this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, for most of us, it's easy, uh, very easy to blow by that passage. Just blow by it. Because many of us don't see ourselves as rich. If we're being honest, some of you heard that, well, you know, command those who are rich, and some of us checked out going, no, that's not me. (laughs) (laughs) Have Have you seen my savings account? Do you see what kind of car I drive? That's not me. You know, you were going, here's me. I'm more on the the lowest rung of the ladder. Well, obviously, and Paul is definitely talking about those who are higher up on the ladder, the higher rung, but not me. It's easy to blow by, but reading this in the global context, command those who are rich, the global context. The average person hearing this this morning 
I guarantee you the average person, most of us have, have a hundred or hundreds of dollars worth of a device in our pocket right now. Some of you are on that device at this very moment. You, those watching at home, you are watching on that device right now. Hundreds of dollars of technology in your pocket. Now, here's the reality. That's about uh, a year's worth of wages for about half of those on our planet. Your cell phone is a year's worth of uh, wages for about half of those on our planet. If you have a smartphone, guess what? You are kind of rich. you have a smartphone you're kind of rich raise your hand if you have a smartphone no judgment here just about every single one of us in this room if you're watching online put a, a hand emoji in there saying I do or a computer or an iPad listen most of us in this room have our own access to our own mode of transportation you drive a car If you drive a car, you're in the top 9% of the wealthiest people in the world today. And and you get into your car, and what do we do? We drive by three, five, four, or even nine restaurants. To go where? To find our favorite place to eat. Our favorite restaurant. Your favorite one. And then when we get to our favorite restaurant that we drove into our car to get to after passing three, four, five, or six other restaurants, we sit there with the menu and we go, oh, I can't decide what I want to eat. (laughs) And And when we finally make up our mind, what do we do? We tell someone else what we would like to eat and then we go expect them to take it to the cook who's gonna cook our meal for us. And then what do we do? After 15 minutes, we get mad because our food's not here. (laughs) And then we start to complain. And then what do we do? We eat our meal that was prepared for us. We get back into our own personal mode of transportation. We drive to our house or our apartment or our condo. And what do we do? We pull our car into the garage of our house we shut the garage door not manually but we hit a button and then we walk into our house we sit down on the couch we turn on our tv in our climate controlled home and then after eating what happens we have to use the restroom so what do we do we go into the bathroom and we poop And we poop, and what happens? We get to flush the toilet, and the poop goes away. (laughs) We go to bed, we wake up the next morning, we walk into our walk-in closets, and we look at the array of clothing, we touch every single one of them, go, no, not that, no, 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 I don't feel that, no, that's not good vibe, no, that, that, that. I have nothing to wear. Here's the bottom line. You are rich. I am rich. We are all rich. Anybody disagreeing with me? We're blessed. And listen, we're not going to apologize for it. We don't apologize for it. We maximize it. 
We go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your provision. Now, what do you want me to do with this? How can I change, you know, not how can I, how can you change a life through me with what you've blessed me with? But seriously, it's what we hear so often. I need a little bit more to be happy. If I just had a little bit more, man, my life would be amazing. Listen, we didn't deserve this. Whatever you have, whatever I have, we didn't deserve it. We were born into it. I need more to be No, you don't. You don't need more to be happy. You don't. Because discontentment makes rich people poor. Contentment makes anybody rich. We have to get this right. So I want to read this again. I want to read 1 Timothy 6.17 again. I want you to read this this time as God is speaking this directly to us because He is speaking it directly to us. He said what? Command those who are rich in this present world. Who is that? Raise your hand. That is every single one of us in this room. We are all rich. He said, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth. Which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Why do we tend to put our hope in money? Why do we tend to put our hope in stuff? Why do we tend to put our hope in wealth? Here's what I believe. It's because money promises what only God can provide. What does money promise? Money promises that if you have enough, if you have enough money, you will be happy. If you have enough money, you will be secure. If you have enough money, you will be significant. And that's really what all of us want. We want to be significant. We want to, we, you know, we, we want to say, listen, I'm all that. That's why we dress the way we do. We want to be happy. We want to be secure. We want to be significant. And those are all about needing more. We need more. More, more, more. No one wants to drive up to the, the party in you know, a broken down jalopy. I was thinking of a AMC. What they have? A Gremlin? What was the other one? Uh, uh, Ford had a, 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 pin, a Pinto? I saw one of those explode in front of Glenbrook and entered, <laughs> poof, the, the hood came off. No one wants to drive up in a broken down car because what's it, what does it do? It makes you feel embarrassed. Nobody wants to show up to the party uh, in, 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 you know, like outdated Wrangler jeans or whatever's out of style. I mean, those are probably back in style now, aren't they? No, we want to drive up into the party with our brand new shiny Honda, or our new Camry, our, you know, whatever it is for you. Land Rover, you want to walk in in your new jeans with your, you know, your fancy purse. Why do we want to do that? Why do we want to walk in? Because it gives us the feeling of, hey, I'm all that. I'm, I'm, look at me. Because money promises only what God can provide. When we think, I really need more money, here's, what you're, here's what's really happening. We're being deceived. We're being deceived. 
You're under the power and the control of money. When you say, I need more money, money will make my life better. If I just had a little bit more money, everything would be good, and then I can be who I really wanted to be. You're being lied to by the enemy of your soul. You are being deceived. You're under the power of money. Money's not the answer to your deepest need. Jesus is the answer to your deepest need. Jesus will meet your deepest need. Young people, you got to get a grip on this now because it only gets worse as you get older. If you can understand great gain comes from contentment in Christ, you're going to live an amazing life. I promise you that. Listen, don't hear these words and then just shake it off. Don't let it go in one ear and out the other. Money's not the answer to our deepest needs. Jesus is the answer to our deepest needs. Money isn't going to help your kids stay off drugs. Money isn't going to help heal that cancer. Uh, you know, money isn't going to uh, be a cure to your best friend's cancer. Money isn't going to give you a better marriage. You know who will? Jesus. Only Jesus. And when you don't have a lot of Jesus... Money looks really good, doesn't it? When you have more of Jesus, you'll find contentment in what you have. Because you'll know, oh, God has given, the, God has blessed me with this. Because godliness with contentment equals great gain. Listen, I know some of you are searching for something that will never be enough. If we're being completely honest, those in-house and watching online, you are searching for something that I'm here to tell you. If you can hear my words, it will never, ever be enough. What you need is more of Jesus. What we need is more of Jesus. His grace, His love, His faithfulness, His goodness, His presence, His assurance. Uh, you know, we need more of His power in our life. That's what we need. And when you have more of Him, guess what? The cravings for money, the cravings for stuff, the cravings for status, the hungering, the starving for everything else goes away. When you have more of Him, you aren't craving those things because you have enough in Jesus. Sometimes when you have more of Him, He tends to give you more of everything else. When you have more of Jesus, He tends to give you more of everything else and then suddenly you recognize that this more of everything else isn't just for you. He's given it to you for a purpose, for a reason. Now listen, then you can say, listen, I'm enjoying the blessings that God's given me. I can enjoy it and be blessed by it. But then because it came from Him, I can use what He gave me to be a blessing to those around me. I don't, I don't know if you guys are picking up what I'm putting down. Um, he's saying, you know, you can say with confidence, listen, I may have it, but it doesn't have me. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. In verse 18, here's what Paul says to the rich people. The people that have these God-given blessings. He says, command them to do what, church? To do good, to, do good, 
to be rich in good deeds. He didn't say be rich in stuff, in fashion, in purses, in Jordans, in technology. He said good deeds. Good deeds, not money. And to be generous and what? I know we didn't say that with a lot of confidence and enthusiasm. I'm praying for a day when we receive an offering or we talk about an offering or harvest offering and, and it's anticipated and we get to cheer and celebrate. And when I go, hey, we're going to receive the offering and people go, yeah, woo! I can't wait for that. Instead of going, oh, great, there he goes again talking about money. We're going to have to give something. Because isn't it, doesn't it say in Scripture, give uh, cheerfully, more literal, give hilariously, where you can't help but laugh because you're just blown away by how much God has blessed you and how much you get to help someone else with what God entrusted you with. But PG, I'm, I'm here to make a better life for me and my family. It's between you and God. Good deeds. Good deeds. To be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Listen, I have a journey like your journey. My wife and I were confronted at an early age before we even knew each other. And, and, and we were confronted again when we got married about tithing. Tithing. Didn't know how to do it, didn't understand it, but we did it anyway. And what I learned about tithing is, yeah, there's a benefit to it, but it's also an obedience thing. But one aspect of tithing, one effect of being obedient with our tithe, and, and my wife and I can attest to this, it's emotional. There's emotion tied to it. I mean, in a good way. Not like, oh, this is our last dollar. <laughs> no, it's going, we get to give this. We get to give this. As an act of worship. As a response to God's great provision and blessing in our life. You know what I was thinking about after thinking through all the times that we've given uh, out of obedience, even when we didn't have enough to make our ends meet after we gave but God always provided a way a pathway and and all and took care of us what I thought about is I never had a single emotional purchasing experience you know what I'm talking about like when when your fridge goes out then you have to go buy a new fridge and you drop a grand on a new fridge. Did you ever go, here lies our fridge. <laughs> Gaze upon the beauty of the stainless steel and the automatic ice maker. Don't you just feel closer to God because of our refrigerator? Has anybody have an emotional purchasing experience? Most of our emotion with purchasing is like, why did I buy that? Right? No one ever hung the, you know, 65-inch, nay, 75-inch TV on their wall and bowed down and raised their hands and worshipped it. 
It's not a life giver. It sucks the life out of you. Anyway. But here's what I know. Generosity. When we're generous with what God's given us, generosity has always been something emotional for my wife and I. Whether it's a harvest offering, whether it's our disciplinary or obedient tithing on our income, maybe it's supporting those who are doing Christ's work, whether in-house or abroad. Maybe it's helping those who are in need. As a matter of fact, I was meeting with someone yesterday, and I, I don't know if they know this or not, but I, I ended up picking the, up the tab for a, a young couple that goes to our church without them knowing. I didn't go, hey, I just covered your meal, man. High five. Yeah, because I'm, I'm awesome. <laughs> That's what I do. Look at me. You know, hashtag blessed. No. I just did it because I felt the Lord say, do it. And I feel kind of stupid even telling you that because it kind of goes against what I'm trying to say, <laughs> but I'm just giving you an example. I know many of you too, because you got Creekside DNA in you. You've probably been in the grocery line where you said, let me just get those groceries for you. I don't know you, but maybe you paid the bridge toll for somebody behind you. You know generosity is an emotional, spiritual experience. And I want to see that happen more and more here at Creekside Church. Because you know why? This is the result of what rich people can do. This is the result of how God can use rich people that He's blessed. It's when we recognize, you know, it's not all about us. It's all about other people. The love of money is the root of all types of evil. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Church, listen. Are you struggling with a severe case? Have you self-diagnosed yourself with a severe case of selfishness and greed? If you have, I got the antidote for you. Here it is. Generosity. 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 Because what I know is you are rich. It's not wrong to have money at all. It's wrong to love money. It's wrong to love money. I want to be a church who are rich in good deeds. And I want to be a church that is known for its generosity. For known for its generosity. So Father, thank You for today. Thank You for giving us what You have given us with. To steward it, Father. We don't own it. It's only on loan to us. So Father, I, I ask for forgiveness for making it about me. I ask for forgiveness for the greediness and the selfishness I've had. I ask for forgiveness, Father for trying to accumulate stuff that I think would be fulfilling in my life. And I ask for forgiveness for not being content and not seeking out godliness within that contentment. And Father, I ask for forgiveness for not being able to be used by You because I was so caught up in my own selfishness. And Father, I pray 
and I hope others join me in this, that I'm opening my tight grip. I'm releasing what I'm tightly holding on to, giving it back to you with open hands because I know I can't receive any more from you while my, my fists are closed tightly around what I'm trying to control. Father, I want to be known as a community of faith of people who are for the people of God. I want to be known as a community of faith of people who are known for generosity. We thank You for everything that You bless us with, Father. And we thank You in advance for everything that You're going to do through our obedience and our response of giving ourselves back to You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close with a worship song about building our life on the Word, on God's love, and let's sing it as a declaration of our commitment of our surrender to Him this morning.